It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now I am away, and now that I'm away, it's even more important to work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep, deep reverence and fear. And we do that because of this. It says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. In the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory, to the glory of God the Father. Everything we do, everything we are, we do because of who he is. And that is the name above all names. And so we get to worship him. But here's the thing, as we move through our time today, are you going to be honest and enough to say there are areas I'm not worshiping him? There are areas I'm not, I'm not moving forward. Are there are areas I need to change. Or are we just going to go through the motions today? The name of Jesus, that name, the only name that can save you. Are you going to, are you going to give him everything, become fully devoted to him? Or are you going to hold back? Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. And we thank you for this call that you've placed on us. We thank you that you um, have chosen to use us. Lord, there's nothing great about us other than your your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that today, as we just sang, that, Lord, um, for those of us who are in that name, who call that name of Jesus, that we would live lives that are so questionable to this world, that people would want what we've got. So, Lord, you move in our time today, and we give you praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, this is kind of one of those um, crazy days today. Um, I, we, man, it's like, and it's a good thing. We had people calling like crazy this morning going, man, I got the flu. I'm not coming, so we're glad they're not here today. That's a good thing. Um, I have multiple children's people, door people, and so I'm glad they have the good sense to stay at home and keep us from, from getting that. Um, I, some of you know Tim Strickland. Um, if you don't know Tim, Tim's usually at this door right here. Um, as you come in, his wife Ann is at the desk uh, last Sunday morning. As Tim's dad died, I believe, yesterday uh, or today. Uh, Mark uh, is not here. So thankful for Quentin uh, for leading the last two weeks. Mark's dad passed away Monday. Um, the funeral was yesterday. And so um, just a lot of insane things. But always when those things happen, it lets me know God's about to do something um, because you're here for a reason. You're here because God wants to speak to you. And we're in this series called Contagious, and we're talking about how we live lives that, are, that make the world question us, to, to, to live lives where they look at us and go, man, I got to know, you know why you do what you do. That's just so insane what you do. And, I, and part of it is I think that um, in, in people are seeking something different. I was, I was watching the news today, and I can't remember, Channel 17, and they were interviewing a girl who went to the Women's March in uh, D.C., and they were interviewing her, and it was really weird because she, she goes, man, it was so great. You know, we were, we were there, and I held hands with people I didn't know, and I hugged people that I that I'd never hugged before, and, and I thought the only thing that would make this a better interview is she said it was a spiritual moment. And she didn't, but, but it was almost like she was communicating this, this idea that for once in her life, it was like, you know, a kumbaya moment. We were together, and it just felt so special. And I sit there, and I look and go, isn't that what the church is supposed to be? I mean, I read this from a gang, former gang member. He basically said that, that the gang, a, a gang, the Crips, the Bloods, were more like the church, the, the New Testament of the church, than the church in America is today. In fact, if you read Francis Chan's book, Lair of the Church, he, he talks about um, 
the church in China, he was speaking to the church in China, starts talking about the American church and what we're like. He said the Chinese Christians just started laughing. They thought he was joking. They couldn't believe some of the things he was saying about the priorities of the American church. Because in China, you don't go to church. You go to book club because churches are illegal. And yet, in that, in that culture, in about four or five years, I'm not sure exact number, there will be more Christians in China than anywhere else in the world. They will be the largest Christian nation in the world, and it's a nation that can't even worship openly. There's something contagious there. And then here we are with 350 million people in America within God we trust on our, on our coins and on our money, and we can't even reach the person next door to us. Do you see a problem with that? In fact, I was a little bit mean in the first verse. I'm going to be mean in this one. If we really lived a contagious life, if our lives, your life and my life, really was contagious, then every seat in here, even with the flu going on, would be full. We would have to be turning people away at the doors because we don't have room. If you and I actually live contagious lives. There's something about us that's wrong. When your friends aren't asking, hey, why are you different? Or saying, hey, where do you go to be different? If they're not asking, it's not a problem with God. And it's not a problem with his plan. It's a problem with his people. It's a problem with us. And so as we start working on the series, and we've been working on it for a long time, the, the kind of the basis for it and kind of what got me going with it, it's just the anger and the angst and all the causes we have. You have, you have the Me Too movement, and you have Black Lives Matter, and you have uh, Blue Lives Matter, and you have you know, just whatever life matters. You have all this, and then you have statues that are being torn down, which is fine, tear it down, whatever you want to do. But then don't go dance around it for another six months because that's the highlight of your life. I look at it like this. It's like when I was, um, when I was 14, 15, 16 in youth, and uh, we used to go to a camp called Laurel Ridge up in the, uh, right on the edge of Allegheny County um, in North Carolina. And at the end of that week, we would go up, and all the commitments we made to God during the week, we'd have this huge campfire, and there'd be like 200 of us around the fire. And we would take our commitments and we'd th- or our sin and throw it in the fire, saying basically symbolically, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. And to this day, if, there, if I go to that mountain spot, I feel closer to God than anywhere else. It's a highlight for me. And what you see in our culture is people, the calls they're in, the marches in D.C. or the you know, traipsing around where a statue used to be, that is the high water mark of their lives. And the reason it's that way is because the church has done nothing contagious in America in decades to where anybody would want what we have. And I said this a couple weeks ago, we lament the fact that there's no prayer in schools. If we just had prayer in schools, oh, everything would change. You can pray in school anytime you want, okay? There's no law that says you can't say a blessing. There's nothing that stops you from praying. And a lot of the only time you prayed in school was when you were about to take a test and you knew you hadn't studied for it. It's like, oh, God, help me right now. There's nothing that stops you from praying in school. Oh, if we just have the right politicians. Every politician's a piece of junk, Okay? Name one that goes up there and does what they say they're going to do. I mean, politicians aren't going to get it done. The church, contagious church, is what will change the culture. We can march all we want, but if we start to live a life where people question it, then that changes our culture, and it happens one person at a time. And so today we're going to talk about this idea of contagious causes, and there are a lot of causes out there. I mean, there's some that are just you scratch your head and go, do what? Like, I, I read this other day, a bill of rights for plants. Somebody has written a bill of rights for plants. You know why? Because the plant couldn't write it himself. So somebody else wrote it for him. And I'm thinking, all right, what does that mean for me mowing the yard? 
I mean, does it mean I can only lower my mower deck a certain level because anything less than three inches is hurting the plant? I mean, really, how, how does, um, there's, there's, a, there's a group. <laughs> I don't know how large it is because it, I, and if any of you, and I'm sorry if I offend you, lobsters are people too. No, lobsters are dinner. Put a little butter on it. Yeah, they're delicious. A little butter on it. Yeah. A lot of people, I mean, there are a lot of, just, there, there are a lot of causes people get involved in. And then even with some of the causes when they go do marches right in D.C. right now, there's no, like with the women's march I've seen, they were talking about all the different things that they're marching for. Nobody's even marching for the same thing. It's crazy. Everybody wants a cause. But there are some causes that are worth fighting and dying for. And that's kind of what we want to talk about. Because I think this cause that Christ gives us is worth fighting and dying for. I mean, there are things like human trafficking. One of the, one of the tragedies of the southern border. Now, I don't, I don't care what you think about the wall, no wall, yes, the wall, whatever. But one of the tragedies that you cannot get away from is human trafficking is on the rise. And you go, how do you know? I don't have a lot of numbers, but I do know this. I was flying. I was in the Jacksonville airport yesterday, and I was in the Atlanta airport yesterday. And if it weren't a problem, those airports would not be announcing. If you see something, say something, because human trafficking is on the rise. I mean, there, there are girls and guys trafficking. Slave. There are more slaves in the world today than at any other time in history. And not in the United States, where there actually are some because they're being trafficked in. But in the world today, and we sit there and we want to worry about something that happened in 1860, worry about right now. There are a lot of slaves right now. You want to help? Don't worry about something 200 years ago. Worry about right now. You know, that's a cause worth living and dying for. How about this one? Safe families. And we're going to talk about that towards the end of this. But uh, something that, that steps in before the government gets in to help families in need. That's a cause. How about this? Foster care. I heard this the other day that there are the, the the number of churches in America. I can't remember exact number, like five hundred thousand churches in America. And they said that if if every other church had one person in that church who fostered a child, there'd be no kids in the foster care uh, system. If every other church had one foster kid, there'd be no kids in foster care in America. But most churches go, oh, that's not my problem, man. If I bring them in, you know how messy that's going to be. Man, if I, if I bring these foster kids in, man, it's going to uproot my life. Well, la-di-da. When Jesus accepted you, when you accepted Christ and you became a child of his, you upset his life. He loves you, but man, you cause problems. Every person who comes in these doors that we, have to, that we disciple is messy. I am messy. I am messy. And we're called to get involved in people's mess and help them. So you got, you got that. We got adoption. I was adopted. We have people in the process now of adopting um, children. So they're not, because I, personally, I don't believe there, there's any such thing as an unwanted child. If that's the case, I'm, I was an unwanted child because I was adopted. And I tend to think of it a little bit different. I was extremely wanted. I was chosen. Of all the kids in, in foster care, I was chosen. And so there's adoption. There's world missions. There are things all around the world that you can be involved in, you can give your life to for the kingdom cause. There is, uh, uh, around here, we have uh, Connect Church does jobs for life. You can go plug in over there. I'm not saying go to their church, but you can. <laughs> you can. I love Tim and those guys. But you can go over there. They do jobs for life. And then we have groups that work with, with other things in, in the community. And we do construction stuff. And there, there are things mission-wise that you can do to help people. But here's the thing is that we were created for a cause. The world knows that. We said the first week that the world judges us based on our own words and our own scripture, even when they don't know it. They look at us and go, you're supposed to be about more than that. 
And they go, I'm not going to that church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. How do they know we're hypocrites? How do they know? Because they know enough about what we're supposed to be to know when we're not that. They recognize when we're fake. And are we perfect? No, nobody's going to be perfect. But we can at least live up, as Scripture says, to what we obtained. And so here's the deal. Today, you're about to obtain something. Okay? We're going to talk about some things in Scripture. And so you have the opportunity at the end of this time to live up to what you know. And that's what God's going to hold you accountable to, is to live up to what you know. So let's, we're going to jump in this because there are causes that are worth going the distance for. There are causes that are worth giving your life for. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. And this is not going to be up on the screen. Some verse we have will, but this is not. This is, our, this is the basis for what we're talking about. If you're new with us, this is the basis of our church. This is why we became what we are. And this is what we are driving, striving to be. And as we read this, you go, all right, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's what I would, I would give my life for is that right there. Well, this is the church that God wants us to be. So it says here, and there's a couple things. Just the, You need to look for a couple words, all. And as we say here, all means what? Some? That means everybody, okay? And the word devoted, because we're going to keep coming back to this word devoted. It says, all the believers, or 42, all the believers devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to the, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Now, he says, all the believers. Now, here's the thing. Let's put it in context just so you understand. This is not like some Caucasian church, African-American church. This is a messed up, crazy church. Because earlier in this chapter... In, in chapter 1, Jesus ascends back to heaven. He says, you know, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to, the word witness is, is where we get the word martyr. You're going to lay down your life for this cause. And you're going to do it in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to lay down your life for this cause. So you get to Acts chapter 2, and all of a sudden Pentecost happens. Peter gets out to speak, and it says that there are people from all over the world there. From media, where uh, the Medes, where the people were taken to captivity, which is now present-day Babylon. From Egypt, where the people were slaves to Babylon, or slaves in Egypt. To Romans, who were, they were now being oppressed by the Romans. It says, all these people were there. It says, as, Paul, as Peter preached, they heard the gospel in their own language. In other words, they didn't even speak the same language. And now they're in this thing, it says, and they were, all the believers were devoted to these things. In other words, they were all on the same page. That's pretty incredible. Because I bet I could start a fight in here in about two seconds that would get us off the same page. I said, how many are Republicans? How many are Democrats? How many are like Trump? How many are like Hillary? I could start a fight here in a New York minute. And I could do that because we're not all on the same page and for the same cause. Up here, intellectually, we're on the same page for the same cause. But in how we live our lives, we're not. All of them were devoted. It says, and a deep sense of awe came over them. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you go, wow, that's a church right there, man. Half, half white, half black, half Hispanic. If you could do that, that'd be cool. Three halves. Um, I had to explain that because y'all were slow on it. Um, if you, all of them together. Everybody gets this, that they were all together. And, and people were going, wow, look at this. Why are they, man, Man, didn't the Jews, weren't they oppressed by the Egyptians? And they're hanging out with Egyptians? They're not holding a grudge for something that happened, you know, 500 years ago. They're, they're kind of getting along. And, oh, the Babylonians who took them off into captivity. The Babylonians are accepted in this and they're hanging out with them. What's with that? Man, I, that would freak me out. 
It says, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money uh, with those in need. And they worshiped together in the temple each day. And they met in the homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then this is the kicker right here. And each day the Lord added their number or added their fellowship, those who were being saved. And nowhere in there was there a gospel presentation. Doesn't mean they didn't share the gospel. They just live such questionable lives that people said, I want some of that. And wouldn't it be cool if people came up to you and said, would you please tell me about Jesus? There's something about you. Please tell me. But most people don't see Jesus in us. I mean, think about it. So here's our big idea. This is what we want to hit on today. It's this idea that we are created for a contagious cause to know Jesus and to make him known. And so I got just three things and we're going to we're going to get through this, okay? Cause becomes contagious when people understand the why. Why? Why are we doing what we do? Why 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 are we about what we're about? And if you were here January 6th, a couple weeks ago, we um did our vision Sunday. We talked about why we are who we are. Now, one of the things we say here is we're one church in the body of church here in Fuquay, Varina. There's one church in Fuquay, Varina. It's not 15. There's one. It's the church of Jesus Christ. We're just one little part of that. And where we fit in is that we're, we are really good at doing ministry things like roofing houses and doing things like that and going in and doing food pantry and stuff and those type things. Connect Church, who's a part of the same body, they have adopted Lincoln Heights Elementary School, and they are really good at ministering to kids over at Lincoln Heights Elementary School. Um, you've got the Point Church that meets over at the high school, and they're really good about planting churches. They don't do anything unless it plants a church. So they plant churches here, and they're one of the fastest-growing churches in the country right now. They plant churches in Fuquay, in Holly Springs. They're about to plant one in Garner. They're doing one in, in Honduras or Haiti, somewhere like that. And, and that's what they do. And you take all these different groups doing their thing and you have one incredible church and so for us our thing is to impact our community for christ to impact the world so what that means is this my hope is today as you as christ touched your life that you leave this place and begin to impact the people around you as their lives are changed they may move to texas or alabama or wherever because we've had people move out of here all to all over the world and uh, they go and now they're impacting the people where they are and we do that through our core values. One of the couple of things that make it that we've said this year, as far as the why, is we believe that to impact, we've got to reach un- people who are far from God. So our goal is is to baptize forty people this year and disciple them. Now, forty people doesn't seem a big number, but to to disciple them is the big deal, because if we make disciples who make disciples, and that forty people in two thousand twenty is now eighty people. And then it's 160 and it just starts growing exponentially. But see, what churches have done for years, we dunk people, tell them they're good with God, and we never call them for discipleship. And what you need to understand is nowhere in Scripture does it cause to be converted, it causes to be disciples. And you can't be a disciple until you make a disciple, just so you know. Just having knowledge doesn't make you a disciple because Jesus made disciples and then told his disciples to go make disciples. And you can trace, a little history lesson, you can trace from John the Apostle John, to about the 3rd or 4th century, a direct line of people he poured his life into, then poured their life into someone else, and then poured their life into someone else. We call them the early church fathers. They're the ones that wrote um, a lot of the the first theology of the church after you get past Paul and and John. So that's why we exist. 
but for you as an individual and for the church as a whole, um, is to know Jesus. And we talked last week about the fact that we're to love God with our heart and soul and mind and strength. That we, we, we've got to, in order to love him, you've got to know him. And it says to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the great commandment. So we've got to know who God is so we can love people the way we're called to love them. Which means you may want to actually read your Bible sometime so you can find that out. Because if the only time you're hearing from God is from me, then you can't really know who God is. You know, we have a little thing called the Old Testament that talks about who God is. And we have the New Testament that kind of follows that story. It's one long story. And if we, we don't spend time in it, we don't understand. In fact, one of the things we're about to do is starting uh, the second Tuesday in, in February. I don't have the date off the top of my head. It may be on your sheet there uh, on the back of the handout. We're starting a survey of the Old Testament for five weeks. And we're going to start in Genesis. And we're actually going to go all the way to Revelation. We're going to talk about how um, the Old Testament fits into the story of, uh, of God and the story of Jesus. And we're going to look at that. And so you're going to get a real in-depth lesson uh, on it if you want to come. So this is for people who are not in B group right now or just want to go deeper in it. And it's going to be on Tuesday nights for about an hour. I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's going to be fast. We're going to go through it. Um, but, but it'll be good for you. So to know Jesus is the first thing. And one of the things with that and that verse, to love your neighbor like yourself, one of the keys is to that is if you don't really know who you are in Christ, then you can't love your neighbor like you love yourself. Because here's the thing, I'm a mess. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a mess. Man, I, I have my faults, and they, they're glaring sometimes. And, it, and if I sit there and go, well, I'm, I'm not worthy to do anything for God, and I feel like I, I live in that mess, then I'm not going to love my neighbor the way they need to be. The other side of it is, while I'm a mess sometimes, I'm also say, a sinner saved by grace. I am someone, I'm a joint heir to everything God has for me. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I'm a people called by God. I am someone that God created to do things in advance to do. And when I understand that and understand just who God made me to be, then I can love my neighbor in a way that pleases God. So we are to know him, but then we're to make him known, the Great Commission. Interesting, the last two things Jesus said before he left was that um, to go and make disciples of all nations, and then you will be, not, not you can be, you may be, if you want to be, it's you will be my witnesses. And so we, we are called to know him and to make him known. That is the why. Everything we do, every cause that we have, everything we pour our life in, the only thing worth pouring our lives in are things that know him and make him known. That's it. Because you know what? That young girl talking about the Women's March, next month there'll be some other thing. And the next month there'll be some other thing. And the next month there'll be something else. And everyone's going to leave her unfulfilled. Now I'm not knocking marching for things or anything like that, but man, there's got to be a bigger cause. There's got to be something more. And so the why, why do we do what we do? Are you willing to sacrifice for it? And is it going to impact the world, the community? Is it going to make a real difference? The second thing is this, knowing the contagious why prompts you to ask how. And this is the really hard part. How do you do it? Because I think for most of us, there's this, I, I, one of my premises for this whole series is this. I believe we all want to be heroes. Everybody here wants their life to count. Now, I've had a couple instances, some of you track with this. You know, when you face death or uh, 
possible death because of heart attacks or cancer or something like that, you start thinking about your legacy, right? You start thinking about what I'm going to leave behind. What, what are people going to know about me? And I think when you look at that, you go, I really want my life to count for something. I don't want to get to the end and go, I wasted this life. And I only have 70 years, 80 years if I had the strength is what the psalmist says. I don't have like this, this infinite amount of time. I, I, want, I, I want my life to count. And so I think we all want that, but we sit there and we wait for God to like emblazon a cause across the sky for us. <laughs> Something that says, Joe, go do this. And yet usually God speaks through a still small voice. Listen to it. Sometimes he doesn't speak through that. Sometimes it's through the giftedness you have. You know, everybody in this room is gifted differently. My two gifts, spiritual gifts, are faith and prophecy. Um, faith being that I see what's not there. Prophecy in that when I read scripture, I, there's no gray area. It's black and white. I, I read it for what it is, and I'm not going to find some nuance in it. I'm going to read it, and this is what it is. And so when I tell you something, like it or not, you're getting black and white. Okay? Um, and you may not like it. Tough. There are other churches to go to. So I just told you what you need to hear right there. Um, you know, and, and so, um, you know, your gift is somebody have the gift of mercy or hospitality, or service. Um, some of you have the gift of evangelism, and God has gifted you with that to help you to find that cause. Then you have the talents that he's given you. You know, not everybody can do what I do and get up on the stage. You know, I can get up in front of a thousand people and it doesn't bother me. I, you know, I'm comfortable wherever I am. And it's not that I'm, it's just God's created, this is what he created me to do. But some of you, God created you, and you're, you're more comfortable, you know, fixing something. Taking a car and making it run. That's where you get your, your excitement stuff. So how do you take your gift and that talent and merge them together? You know how many unwed, single moms who don't have money there are that don't know how to change their oil and could use somebody to either teach them or just change their oil for them? And you take your passion for cars and your gift of service and bring them together? And it's not a matter of waiting for it to be blazing on the sky. God's already created you that way. I don't think God calls us to do to jump into causes that we hate. I think he, he calls it, he, he gives us these desires to be involved in causes that we love. And so here's the key, though. This is, this is the key to the whole thing. It says all the believers were devoted. All the believers were devoted to the cause of Christ, every one of them. And that's why the whole thing worked. And, and I think this is where we, we break down. We, so many of us are not devoted to anything. Or we're devoted to everything. Can you be devoted to more than one thing? I mean, really devoted to more than one thing. I don't know, maybe. Josh is going, maybe. And then I start thinking in the real world. Um, wives, can your husband be devoted to more than one woman? Why not? But why not? Look, it's not me. Why not? I mean, if, if you really love both equally, can you not be devoted? Well, even the Quran that says you can be married says it's almost impossible to be devoted to the same, to two people equally. Um, how about um, parents? Can you be devoted to more than like your family and someone else? I mean, and, and be fair with it? I'm going to tell you, as a football coach, as one who's had my kids on the team and their kids I pour my life into some and my kids get neglected, no, you can't. I'm, I'm always doing it to the detriment of someone else. 
And he says they were devoted, but they were devoted to the cause of Christ. Even Jesus, even Jesus says, he says in, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, No one can serve two masters. He says, For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved by money. You cannot be devoted to one thing. And these people were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What were the apostles' teaching? That Jesus Christ is Son of God. He lived, died, and rose again. And that he's coming back for us. He's created an eternity for us. That's what they were devoted to. They lived every part of their life, their church life, their home life, their work life. They lived it devoted to that. It was integrated. And that's the call on us. To have a call, the how the calls is the first you as an individual have to decide, am I going to be devoted to those things? Am I going to sell my life out for those things? Or am I going to continue to live my life devoted to my job, devoted to my family, devoted to this? And we compartmentalize everything. But I'm going to tell you, you cannot. In the kingdom, you cannot compartmentalize. You just can't. That was not the call. That is not the agreement. Jesus gave his all to you. And the call is you give your all to him. And what it means is there is no work, family, home. There is just me and Jesus and everything else. And here's what Jesus said in Scripture to answer that. He said, said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. His promise is if you will seek me, if you'll be devoted to me, the rest will fall into place. The rest will fall into place, and you will find a cause that will radically change not only your life, but everybody else. And again, it will not be a cause. I don't believe God's going to give you a cause that you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to do this. No, it's going to be a cause. You go, man, I can't wait to do this. I kind of had this, we're going to talk about this in a second, but I had this situation because Mark's dad died uh, Monday, and so I was down in, in, in Florida, and I, I was like, oh, I, I have to go to a funeral. And I walked away going, I got to go to a funeral. Because I saw something there. It was so, we're going to talk about it in a second, but it's so amazing. Um, and, and so, you know, you get this point where you go, man, I get to do this. And, and it says they were devoted to these things in the fellowship. And one of the things we do is, is a lot of our devotion in the way we grow in our devotions in B group. And I, I love B group. I love the B group I was in. I was in the, uh, what was the Tactos, and now Mark Roy teaches it when we started it. And I remember um, this, this little group that started uh, with a movie night in a neighborhood where Chris Calamaris and Megan Calamaris, if you know them, came to know the Lord or, or got plugged in the church through a movie night by this B group. And now Meg leads all of our children's ministry, and Chris is our worship leader over at, at Holly Springs. That was like four years ago. Um, they were lost. They were far from God, and now they are leading people and discipling people. And if you want to be around somebody, disciple somebody, hang out with Megan for a minute. I mean, if you've never hung out, she's like, wow! She is wide slam open. And she will invite people and bring them. And it's just, it's not like she goes, oh, I gotta invite somebody. She just does it in the natural course of her everyday life. It is insane. This little B group that we met with and we would eat together and we'd fellowship together every time and, and just got to know and love them. I mean, that's how we do it. And, and, and so, you know, we're devoted to Christ, but we're devoted in those groups to each other. And God does incredible things through it. Man, we're, we're devoted. But then the last thing is this, knowing why and how leads to, the, to us to ask the what. What is it I need to do? What, what, is, what is my mission? What is my ministry that God's, God's called me to do? And, that's, and, and that gets even a little harder, but I'm going I'm to try to give you some things and make it, make it easy for you. Um, what, what mission? So I went to, um, we went to Mark's dad's funeral, and I've met Mark's dad. 
Um, some of you met him because whenever they'd go to Michigan, they'd travel through here and they would hang out here for a while. But I never really just spent time with him. Here, what I knew of Mark's dad was this. When Mark was younger, he was an alcoholic. And, um, and Mark was, had, had to deal with growing up in an alcoholic home. But then probably about 20-some years ago, his dad, 20, 25 years ago, his dad really came to know the Lord um, and, and just got sold out for him. Now, his dad was an, uh, an attorney. Um, in, on a law practice in Jacksonville, Florida, and pretty good attorney because he was admitted. Uh, he had um, I don't know what you do, but he was licensed or whatever to to argue cases in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, the Florida Court of Appeals. So he wasn't like this run of the mill thing, but he specialized in bankruptcy law, law, helping people who are going through bankruptcy was his ministry and his mission. And I remember when Mark came here, he would tell me because Mark was doing. Um, some work remotely as as um, just just kind of doing um, some of the case stuff for him. And he'd tell me, yeah, I had this family that called, and they were just really desperate, and I got to pray with them. I'm going, wow, a lawyer that prays. That's just weird. And um, and, he just, and he, they would pray, and they just kind of got involved in these people's lives. So I go to this funeral kind of knowing some of the story. Um, and they do funerals different in Florida. I don't know if it's because it's a, they, his dad was an evangelical Catholic and... I don't know if it's because of that, but we went to the funeral home on, on Friday night. And you go in, they have a visitation, and nobody leaves. You know, here, you kind of walk through and get out because you don't want to be there any longer and you have to. And, uh, and, they, and nobody left, and they had like a sharing time, and everybody comes in the room and starts to share. The first person that shared was a, a lady who was a lawyer for 18 years in that firm who had gotten her first job. And I don't think she was a believer. She never said, you know, Jesus did this for me or anything like that. But she just got them to start talking about how uh, Mr. Roy had just poured into her life as a young attorney and, and how they'd invite her over to the house and how she would eat dinner there. It's like, man, I, I want you to know, Miss Roy, I love you. I love your family. Thanks for doing that. I'm like, all right, pretty cool. Um, somebody else got up and said something similar. And then this one guy gets up and says, my turn. I'm, I'm one of the disciples of the law firm. I'm like, all right, that's interesting. And it was one of the lawyers that he brought in, again, very young, trained him, and in the process, just poured Jesus into this guy. And the guy's term was, I was discipled at a law firm. Oh, all right, now this is getting good. Down at the end of my road, this lady gets up. I, I got to say something. I got to say something. She gets up and says, you know, I was a, a teacher in a Christian school, and I, I had to leave because um, I think she got divorced, and she had a child, single mom, and she just needed a break. She just needed some healing said, you know, one of my friends worked at the Roy Law Firm and said, hey, if you, can, if you can do the alphabet, they'll hire you. And so she came in and just did filing and said, for about two or three years, I was allowed to heal there. And she said, Mr. Roy, just, man, he loved me and just healed me and, and man, just poured Jesus in me and just, just all over me. And time after time after time, to the funeral on Saturday, yesterday, one of the partners in the law firm got up and said, you know, I started there as a just out of school, Worked there for 18 years, worked up the partner. And he said, man, I got invited over to their house so many times to eat. And my wife and I just got to know them. And, and everybody kept saying the law firm was a family, a family, a family, a family. And this guy said, you know, I, last time I saw him was like two weeks ago. He could barely do anything. But I was telling him, I knew he'd been praying for my wife and I to have a child. And I told him we were pregnant. And he's like, yes. He said, that was the family we worked in. So I was talking to Mark's mom right after the funeral, and she goes, yeah, she goes, when, when I started working there 20 years ago, he said, you can put anything up on the wall prayer-wise. You can pray with any person you want to. You can do whatever you want in my office. And he did the same thing, 
And they created this family, and the natural flow of their lives, just their cause became those people they were working with. And person after person after person came to the Lord. And here's the thing. He wasn't even trying. That's what blew my mind. We think when we talk about a cause that we have to go and work and try and create and all this stuff. It was just in his everyday, ordinary life, he lived out the cause of Christ. It was, it was absolutely amazing. I, I walked in going, I've got to go to a funeral. and walked away going, that was the most incredible thing I've ever been in in my life. A life well lived where everybody said the things, these are people are not families. And, and, and I'm not talking, you know, a lot of times you get people to say nice things at your funeral. Like one or two of you may say something nice at mine one day. Um, you can get people to lie for you. The place was packed. There were people that had driven from hours away to come to the funeral at 9 o'clock yesterday because of the impact this man had on their life. Absolutely insane. And I thought that was a life well lived. That was a life lived for the cause of Christ. Now, individually, we can't do everything. You and I can't do everything individually. But you can do something. You can't find that thing. You can say, God, I'm going to start out. I'm going to be devoted to you. Everything I have is yours. I'm going to live my life for you. And as I do that, you're going to give me a cause. I can do that as an individual. And that's a commitment you have to make. And some of you are going to make that commitment today. And some of you are going to walk out of here the same way you came in. And you go, man, my life is empty. Church didn't do anything for me. God didn't do anything for me. Well, you're not devoted to it. What is your wife or husband going to do for you if you're not devoted to them? They're going to do nothing for you. Why would you expect a holy God to do that? you got to decide. Are you going to be devoted? Individually, you can make that decision. But collectively, we can do incredible things. If I took three people and I said, man, we're going to go baptize 40 people this year. We're going to disciple them. They'd be going, man, I can't. That's almost like 11 people per. That's like 12. I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. But I take this room, a room this size, we'll storm the gates of hell together. If everybody in this room said, man, I will be devoted to the cause of Christ, we could storm the gates of hell together. We could change the world if we would do that. But the bottom line is you guys just got to do something. I'm going to give you a couple things that you can maybe do. Maybe plug into. Maybe, maybe for me, what happens when I go to, when somebody starts having one of these talks, I start writing down, like Brian Causer was up here last week. I'm writing stuff that's not notes. God just lays stuff in my heart and I start writing down. And so these may prompt you to do something to go, well, that's not my giftness, but what about this? On this back wall back here, we have a few. We're going we're gonna to populate it, but we have some opportunities to serve here. We're going to have some mission stuff up there on the, over the next couple weeks that you can go and grab and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this out. Let me, let me give you a couple of causes that I believe are worth plugging into that we're involved in as a church. The first, Timothy Initiative. Um, some of you know we had David, Nel, uh, David Helms here, uh, or Nelms here in um, the last week of December and Timothy Initiative plants churches all over the world. And we're excited to say that we, we raised over $6,000. So we are sponsoring a church planting center in South Sudan um, that's going to train 20 pastors, or 20, uh, pastors plus 
their apprentices, plus every one of those groups has to have a, have a widow or orphan that they minister to, and that's going to take place over the next two years. And, hey, I'm good if you want to help us to, to sponsor another one. They're opening up a training center in Guatemala. They need a sponsor for that, and that would be really cool because we're in Guatemala multiple times a year, and we go down there and meet with those pastors and hang out and, and, uh, and be there, whereas in South Sudan you really don't want to go there. We have to go into Kenya to go see the pastors because South Sudan's not very safe for Americans. Kenya's not really safe for Americans at some times. Um, but the Timothy Initiative, for $300, you can sponsor um, a pastor for two years. You can train a pastor, which means not only that pastor, you train the pastor and an apprentice, and that pastor out of his own pocket takes care of a widow or an orphan, which, by the way, just so you know, biblically, uh, James says, he says that true religion is taking care of widows and orphans, and all through the Old Testament it talks about religion, true religion is not doing what we do here. It is taking care of those in need. So uh, you can be a part of that. We're going to be in Guatemala multiple times. We're leaving in a couple weeks, um, and then we're going to be in July. We're going to be in, in Guatemala, and what we're doing there is, uh, for some of you, you have, over the years, you have sponsored children that live in the city dump in Jalapa, and and those children moved out of the dump. We never see them anymore because they moved out of the dump. And what they're doing right now is in those houses where these children are up on the mountainside outside of Alapa is they've started all these little house churches, which, by the way, is our model. We're, we're a group of house churches that gather together on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and so they start these house churches. We're, we'll be in there doing medical and VBS, and then we come in, eventually we build a building for them to have worship. Um, and so... Um, you can be a part of that. We're going in the end of July. Um, there's hurricane rebuild. We're going down two weeks uh, to Warsaw, North Carolina to refinish up. What they're doing right now is there's a school that the uh, Baptist Association bought that will, they're hoping to house 200 people for the next seven years. Because what you forget is Hurricane Florence isn't on the news anymore, but it's going to be seven to ten years before those people are back in their house. Uh, for the record, people in Fair Bluff that we've been working on for two years, none of them, None of them that we've worked on are back in their house yet. Their clock started over, so the two years they were looking at is now going to be four to five years if they're allowed to move back in their house at all because of the Hurricane Florence. And so we're going to be down there, and we're about to get a list this next week of houses in Columbus County that need work. We're going to be in Columbus County this summer working uh, with Mission Serve, so you have that opportunity. Um, you have Mission Serve. We're going to be advertising it today on the videos um, in Rockingham County, up at Reedsville. Uh, we're we're uh, doing a mission serve project there with a couple hundred people from all over the country in Reedsville, North Carolina. Our students are going to be up there. And so there's that opportunity as well. There's neighbor to neighbor. I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but when you drive through uh, Fuquay coming in uh, from the south part, there are like neighborhoods going everywhere. There's one neighborhood that's going from Highway 55 all the way to Purfoy Road, 7,000 houses. And you go, you know, uh, we really need to do something to get after those houses. But one person can't do it by themselves, and we can't go in once the house are built, but, you know, we could do it one house at a time because, no, you know, 30 people don't move in in a day. You could say, you know, I'm going to be so devoted to Christ. I want to make sure the kingdom's known. We get something together um, from all the churches in the area, and we go deliver it to them and say, we want to invite you to the Connect Church Point Church, Hago, the Gathering Church. We want to invite you to come and, and, and invite and, and have that opportunity to connect one house at a time. But somebody has to say, man, I, I believe that. I can do that. And you go, well, what if I'm the only one doing it? You know, the crazy thing is we're about to start our activity groups back up. And, uh, and we had a group of ladies that were kind of independently coming up with things. And we, we, we'll be starting up three female activity groups. We have our stuff for the guys as well, but three. But what happens, these ladies were all 
independently just God was laying it on their heart and then they started talking and we got these this incredible thing coming out. So my guess is if if you say, Man, I, I would like to do that, you'll find four or five other people who would be willing to do it. It's called the Oreo principle. Um is what I call it. You know, I kinda coined that. So um how many of you like double stuffed Oreos? Raise your hand. How many of you don't like double stuffed Oreos? How many of your chips ahoy? Yeah, sorry. Um I like, I like double-stuffed Oreos, and I figure I can always get five, six, ten people who like double-stuffed Oreos to join me in that cause. Um, when Eleanor said that, well, when I threw Eleanor under the bus and said, and said uh, Eleanor wanted to start a dance ministry, that day she had five people go win. She had been thinking it. Other people had been thinking it, but nobody's willing to stand up, so I threw Eleanor under the bus because she had been, run, just for the record, you were running your mouth to everybody, and word got back to me. And, uh, and you are going to see a great, well, we showed the video earlier, great video of her uh, dancing with MC Hammer. Y'all didn't know she could do that, but it was great. Um, but if we get together, we can do something, neighbor to neighbor. But then here's a really cool one that we need a lot of people involved in. It's called Safe Families. We're going to show this video, and then we're going to end. But um, Safe Families is an incredible organization that we have one family involved in right now. And for every family that's involved, you have to have 8 to 12 people that will surround that family. And what it is, and it doesn't really talk about it in the videos, you hear, te- hear testimonies. What it is, it's, um, it's a step before foster care. It's a step before um, people get involved in the foster care system. So a mother can say, I've got, like we had the, a couple weeks ago, about a month ago, wasn't it? Um, Christine had a, a little boy This mom was having a baby in the hospital She didn't have anybody take care of her child Foster care was going to have to step in Which then means she loses some control And safe family steps in And they place it in a Christian home Somebody is, is helping the mother um, There's a group helping the mother There's a group helping the family The family that does it gets no money They don't get any financial help But it's an incredible thing Because there's discipleship going on multiple levels and it, and it keeps kids out of the foster care system. And it's the church doing what the church does best. I'm telling you, hurricane relief, disaster relief, is done better by the church than the government. We do it far better and quicker than the government. If the government would just turn us loose, down needs to be taken care of. It just would. So watch this video. And, and this may be a cause you say, man, I want to be a part of. Hi, my name is Clarissa. I grew up in the foster system because my mother was a, was a drug addict. In 2008, I was sent to jail for about a week. I'd never been in trouble before. And when it happened, just like, I was just recently divorced and trying to get a job and trying to take care of my kids. And, you know, it kind of started this spiral of emotional chaos. I didn't have a job. I now had an arrest record. I was, you know, charges were pending, and my kids were in the foster care system. There wasn't enough, like, antidepressant drugs to help me, like, come come out of that at all.
When she first came and dropped off Noah, we met in a uh, central meeting place. We allowed Noah to play a little bit with our children and introducing Clarissa to myself, introducing us, and that Noah was going to be coming and staying with us for a little while until Clarissa was able to regroup and, and get her family back on her feet. They made it so easy that I felt guilty. And it wasn't only for my children, they offered me help too, you know, someone to talk to, somebody that would listen to me and not judge me. And how do we love our neighbors? It's not just the people next door, it's not just within our own community, but it's people, all people, everywhere. I would encourage anyone to be a host for Safe Families for Children, to be able to come alongside these families who are in crisis, who need someone, and simply just to love on them. So if that's something you're considering, I would really pray about it and contact one of the administrators and ask them, how can you get started in this program? But do it today, because they need you. Thank you, Safe Families for Children. You kept my family together. Here's the thing, we've got families in our church that are doing foster care. We have families that are in the process of doing adoption. Um, and then we have safe families. And you may say, you know, Joe, I can't take a child in, but I, I can do something. I mean, they need people, because they don't get government money when they do this. They need people to buy diapers and help with food costs and maybe help babysit some and to do those things. And there are so many ways that you can help with this. And what I, what I would challenge you to do with, with that, if you're interested, on, there's a serve card in front of you. There's also a connect card. doesn't matter. Um, we had a couple in the first service do this. You can just write on there, um, safe, on the bottom. Write your name. Make sure we have your information. If you're new, a guest with us, make sure we have at least an email address. We can get back with you. And someone will contact you and say, hey, here's what it is. And you can say, well, I just either want more information or I just want to be a support person or I want to be a safe family. Our goal is to have four safe families by the end of this year. We have one right now. Why? Because the world's going to question it. You get to impact that family and that child, and they're going to go, wait, you, you do that, and you don't get any money for doing it? No. Why would you do it? But let me share the hope that's within me, because Jesus Christ did the same thing for me. Why would you adopt a child? Because I was adopted by Jesus. Why would you foster a child? Because these children need hope, and they need love. Man, live lives are so questionable, people ask that. We have such a cause that people go, man, I want to be a part of that. So you can do that. Another, another thing we have coming up that you may want to be involved in, that we're, we're shooting for uh, Easter uh, to launch Celebrate Recovery, which is, you, 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 want, you want messy. That's messy. But it is what discipleship should be, to help people who are struggling with addictions or uh, family issues or self-esteem issues. I mean, it's not just... It's not just alcoholism. It's, there's a whole lot of things we're going to be helping people through. And maybe you go, I, I would like to be, I'd like to help some way. You, you can just write CR on a card. And I'll give that to Josh over here. And Josh will call and kind of see, you know, where you would fit. It may be, you know, snacks each week. You go, I can't be there. I'm not a counselor or anything. But you could do snacks. There are things you could do that would help people. But here's the deal. You're called to do something. The Bible says we're saved by grace, 
so that, in verse 10, Ephesians 2.10, so that we can do the things that God prepared for us in advance. Don't think that God doesn't have anything for you. And do not think that he has to write across the sky for you to get it. He's already gifted you. He's already given you talent. He's already given you some of you. are going, man, if only somebody, I wish someone would do. Guess what? You're the one. If you're wishing someone else would do it, God's already laid on your heart that it's you. You're that someone. But you know, man, it's going to take too much time. It's going to be too hard. You know, if God gifted you for it, then he's already given you the ability to do it, and he's probably already put the people in place that will surround you and help you do it. There has to be someone who will step up and do it. And that's one of the things we said um, on the 6th with our, with our vision week is that most of the ministries that God has for us the church have not been created yet. Because God's waiting on you to step up for the cause. But it's going to start with this. Don't miss this. The cause means nothing unless you're first devoted to Christ. Devoted to being Christ-like. If, that's, if, if you're not there first, then all you're doing is doing some work that's not going to last forever. If you're devoted for, to Him, like when we go down to Warsaw and work on houses or we go to Columbus County, it, because we're devoted to Christ, every job we do is a platform to share the gospel or share hope with someone who doesn't know who Jesus is. And so we approach everything that way because we're devoted to Him and to making Him known. I'm going to be back at the back, so if you go, man, I, I really want to understand how to, I want, I want to know how to know him, we can talk. Or I want to know how to make him known, we can talk. And if you just put on your card, I mean, if you say, Joe, I, I want to serve, I'm just not sure where. I'll get up with you. Man, we have so many things, ways that we can help you find your sweet spot. To help you find where you belong, what God created you for. And we want to help you do that. That's our, that is our commitment to you as a church, is to help you find that thing, that one place where you can't wait to serve. But you got to be willing to step up and do it. We're going to pray in just a second. You have an opportunity to do communion. And the way we do communion here is you go take the elements and just go back to your seat and in your own time, you take them. The only thing we ask is this, is that you just pray. And the Bible says to take it in a manner worthy of the gospel, which means that you need to ask God to search you. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me and then lead me in the everlasting way. We need to ask God, is there something that's holding me back, something that I need to ask forgiveness for? And the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That every time, 100% of the time, no matter what you've ever done, God will forgive you. And so we take communion today because he, the, the greatest cause is that right there. The blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness it brings. Um, so we're going to move around in a second, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to be out of here. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this day. And Lord, I thank you that we get to come here and, and sing to you and worship you. And Lord, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I just really am, Lord. I, I know me. The only one that knows me better than me is you. And we both know how messed up I am. You, you know the selfishness in my heart. And let you, yet you continually call me to do things that are often beyond my capacity. But because of your spirit, I can do things that I can't do on my own. And I just marvel at that. 
Lord, I'm an introvert who gets up and speaks in front of people every week. That's just crazy. Lord, this room is full of people. They're just as messed up as I am. Because of the Spirit of God, we have the power to do things far beyond our capacity. And Lord, you've implanted in, in each one of us this, this desire to be great. That's why we're so selfish sometimes, because we want greatness. But Lord, you, you flip it on, on its head by saying the great serve, Lord. And I pray you to help each one of us to find that cause that our hearts yearn for. Or that thing that you created us for. That thing that when we do, we'll find the greatest joy and purpose. And Lord, today, for some, they just need to say, for me, the first time, I'm going to be devoted to Jesus. I don't think take that, that uh, decision card and they check on there. Because that's where it all starts. For some, they need to recommit to be devoted to you. So, Lord, you, you move right now. We're, we're going to do whatever you call us to do. That's our commitment to you. In Jesus' name, amen.